In this episode of the Range Minded Podcast, I want to talk to you guys about something. We're winning and we don't even know it. We're going to get into the details in this episode of the Range Minded Podcast. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to the Range Minded Podcast. Friends, I am so grateful to have you here. This is actually going to be kind of an interesting show. Now, I'm I'm going to tell you straight up. I was going to put this episode as a video episode on the YouTube channel, uh, but I downloaded some software. I was messing with the audio, and then I, <laughs> I completely screwed up the audio. I don't even know what I did, and there's no way to revert it back to... to uh, uh, the default settings, at least not that I could find. I, I honestly messed with that stupid software for, uh, as I'm recording this, it's almost midnight on the uh, 16th of January. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure I was playing with that for like four hours trying to get it just right. And I totally screwed it up. So I might be a little groggy. I might be a little frustrated, but that just makes this episode that much more spicy. But let me tell you something. This episode is going to be awesome because we're winning. We're winning and we don't even know it. And that's going to be the title of this show, by the way. We're winning and we don't even know it yet. Let's jump into it and find out why, shall we? So I've been digging through some uh, some news stories. There is some good stuff coming out. Um. And this is good news. Uh, some of it may not sound like that great of news, but it's it's all good news. So maybe you saw recently that a federal judge just told uh, just told the post office to go pound sand. And this is why is this a good thing? Now it, it doesn't necessarily help us normal citizens, but what it is helping is federal employees that work for the post office that allows them to carry. And I actually learned something from this article that I had no idea from or idea about beforehand. Uh, this article, and I'm going to link it obviously in the show notes. This article comes from the Federal News Network, a network I have never heard of before, but I just dug up this article on the internet, and this is the one we're going to visit first. So this is, uh, again, the Federal News Network. I don't get paid by them. I don't endorse them. Like I say, this is the first time I have ever heard of this uh, of this online news. So we'll kind of peruse this article real quick. Uh, and this actually came out today, uh, the 16th of January. Uh, federal, a federal judge challenges gun restrictions in post offices across the country. So this judge, uh, Catherine Kimball Mizell, I think is how, Mitzel, Mizell is how you pronounce her name. So last Friday, she decided, hey, you, you got to stop. You're restricting people's rights. And what this boiled down to is there was this gentleman. Um, his name was Emmanuel. Hopefully I can pronounce this last name right. A Ayala? Ayala? Probably Ayala. Emmanuel Ayala. So he's a postal service employee. He's a, a big truck driver. You know, he, he trucks mail around Florida. So normally uh, he carries a gun, but normally he respects the law that uh, that exists, a federal law. Yeah, he carries in a fanny pack. So normally he drops his fanny pack off in his car. He picks up his truck. And then after he leaves the property, uh, he picks up his fanny pack again. And he uses uh, that to defend his life. Um, I'm not an attorney. None of this is uh, legal, like legal interpretation of any kind of law. But what from uh, what I understood is that truck would still technically be 
post office property. So I don't know. Anyway, again, I'm not quite sure how that rolls through. So anyway, he decided not to take off his fanny pack and he walks into the facility and um, the in post office inspector general happened to be there with his agents and he, they stopped Mr. Ayala and said, Hey, uh, you can't do that. And they decided to detain him. Um, or at least attempt to detain him. And according to documents that uh, were introduced in court to, uh, to the judge, he, he took off like he ran because he didn't know who they were. They didn't identify themselves. They just tried to, to detain him, uh, basically kidnap him without any, and without any identification of who they were allegedly. So he took off, right? He, he took off running anyway. Um, they uh, they eventually got a hold of him, and this went to a federal court. So the inspector general agents, according to documents, um, or actually according to this man's attorney, uh, the agents never identify themselves as a quote. The agents never identify themselves as being affiliated with the uh, whatever inspector general. I don't. They have it as an acronym. They never stated their business with Mr. Ayala, and they never informed him that he was under any investigation for committing any crimes on USPS property. They were complete strangers to Mr. Mr. Ayala, whatever his name is. Sorry. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name and you're listening. If you're listening to the show, please chime in. Uh, a reasonable person. Now, I think we talked about the reasonable person test when it comes to... Um, uh, come to trying people. It's it's old case law. It's been around for a long, long time. Uh, we're not going to get into it in this. If you're curious about the reasonable person test, you can Google it. There's a lot of cool information on it, and it's used a lot in the court system. Anyway, a reasonable person in Mr. Ayala's shoes would have fled in the same manner and surrendered when he saw local police in, in full uniform. So this ruling from this uh, this court, uh, for excuse me, from this judge, she says, hey, let me tell you something. Bruin has made this extremely clear that in order to create any kind of law, you have to go back to text, history, and tradition. And the 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 federal side or the, the government side is saying, hey, a post office is a sensitive place. We have to protect the employees from any kind of uh, malicious intent, right? We don't want people bringing guns into the post office. And of course, I'm just kind of paraphrasing this whole story, right? This is not what the judge said at all. But anyway, she alluded to saying something like, well, let's go to the history, right? So sensitive places don't exist or hadn't existed until pretty recent history. Um, let's see. Let me, sorry, I'm trying to read and talk at the same time because there was some stuff I wanted to bring on here because it is actually pretty interesting. Uh, let's just read the sentence. Friday's ruling of the U.S. District Court for the Middle District of Florida, refers back to the Supreme Court's ruling of uh, Nyserpa versus Bruin that gave individuals a broad authority under the Second Amendment to carry a gun outside their homes for self-defense. The Supreme Court's ruling still allows for banning guns in some sensitive places, including government facilities, but restricts. Uh, but the restrictions must be consistent with the national, with its national. Oh, I cannot read, and I just burped. Sorry. Uh, Consistent with its national historic, oh my gosh, again, it's like midnight, so I'm sorry. Let's try that sentence one more time. The Supreme Court's ruling is uh, still allows for banning guns in some sensitive places, including government facilities, 
but the restrictions must be consistent with the nation's historical tradition on firearms regulation. The Supreme Court has not been clear, uh, according to this quote uh, from Mitzel, I think, who is the judge. The Supreme Court has not been clear. The government must point out historical principles that would permit to prohibit firearms, uh, firearm possession in post offices. Um, again, I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, Mitzel also said a blanket restriction on firearm possessions in post offices must be uh, incongruent with the American tradition of firearms regulation, which it's not, right? There's no historical uh, documentation um, for this. And this is something that I did not know. This is something that's pretty interesting. The judge also wrote that uh, that gun bans in post offices are re relatively similar federal buildings did not appear until the mid-20th century, over 170 years after the, the country's founding. The United States, oh my gosh, the United States fails to meet its burden of uh, pointing to historical tradition on firearms regulation, justifying Ayala's, oh, sorry, dude, indictment. The Justice Department argued that the law dating back to the founding of the U.S. prohibited firearms. Oh my gosh, dude. I apologize. I'm reading too fast and I'm tired. This is the way radio works for me sometimes. The Justice Department argued that laws dating back to the founding of the U.S. prohibit arms in legislators, polling places, and courthouses. But Mitzel said that the prohibition was overly broad and that the blanket firearm ban in all federal facilities captures everything from the White House to toll booths in national parks to uh, Social Security Administration buildings. At some point, the judge wrote... At some point, when the 28% of the land in the United States is owned by the federal government and many ordinary activities required uh, frequenting a federal facility, the government's theory would almost would amount to a nullification of the Second Amendment uh, altogether. So this is what I didn't even think about, okay? What she's saying, if you could understand my confusing reading process, is she's saying that the United States, the federal government, owns a lot of the United States. So if we let this carry on, this nonsense carry on of sensitive places, they could technically make anything, any place that the government owns into a sensitive place, basically nullifying the Second Amendment. Obviously, there's a problem. But here's something else that we just learned in this article, which I found quite interesting. And I'll do my best to read this without any error. I'll have to use my radio voice if you guys are okay with that. <clears throat> you ready? The federal government never sought to ban firearms to protect employees or, or secure mail delivery. In fact, when mail train robberies became a growing threat in the early 20th century, the Postmaster General armed railway mail clerks with government-issued pistols from World War I. I did not know that. So if, if they're going to go back to history, text, and tradition, they could go back to World War II times or world just post-World War I showing that the postmaster general actually issued firearms to postal employees. I did not know that. That is awesome. Okay. And then she, po she, uh, she pointed to something else. So um, in its latest report, the post office, the, the Postal Inspection Service gave its report to Congress, and there were 1,258 mail theft arrests in the year 2022. 
and 1188 of those resulted in convictions. That same P that same year in 2022, fiscal year 22, uh, the, the USPS inspection service, uh, made 100 male thefts arrests with 68 convictions. So she's pointing out that there's issues for postal employees that probably should carry because there were convictions, there were thousands of arrests, and, well, thousands, but just over a thousand arrests. Um, and, well, 1,200 arrests and 1,100 convictions, okay? So there's pointing to that these employees should have the right to defend themselves, to to defend their lives if necessary. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so I would say that's a win, right? We're winning and we don't even know it. You are listening to the Range Minded Podcast. All right. Here's something else I found that was kind of interesting while I was looking for some other stuff. So I came across this across this website called the Small Arms Survey, which is a part of a bigger network of of stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's it's huge. It's part of uh, it's part of something called um, uh, Target sixteen point one, which I had to look it up. Anyway, like I said, this is all part of a, a bigger global agenda. Um, and let me just read a couple of sentences out of this or a couple of paragraphs out of this. The small arms survey tracks statistics on violent deaths and comply, compiles them with the global violent deaths database. So that GVD, the global violent death, is part of this large network of reporting from UN related countries. And I did some digging on this website and it's pretty progressive. And uh, here's what you'll 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 understand that when I read this paragraph. Within the framework of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and its Sustainable Development Goals, states have pledged to promote peaceful and inclusive societies for sustainable development, provide access to justice for all, and build effective, accountable, and inclusive institutions at all levels. The first target identified under this goal, Target 16.1, commits all all states to significantly reduce forms of violence and related deaths, uh, related death rates everywhere. The GVD database updated annually provides a tool for assessing pro progress in implementing target 16.1. It contains data starting from 2004 and includes data, data sets on direct conflict deaths, homicides, killings, and illegal intervention and violent deaths by firearm, including the prevalence of firearm-related killings of women, as well as figures from women, uh, from women victims of lethal violent or more lethal violence more generally. Okay, so anytime you hear the terms inclusive or um, what was uh, what was the other one I was reading? Um, anyway. You you hear those you hear those keywords those keywords like justice and inc inclusivity and that kind of stuff right so you kind of know that it's probably going to be a lot of mumbo jumbo from let's just say it, it's from some kind of a cabal right they're trying to create this uh, everybody kumbaya happy go lucky stuff well it's still an interesting like they have this some infographics and an, they have an interactive map here that I wanted to go through real quick so. No matter what, no matter any time we hear about uh, 
gun violence, right? The United States is the worst country ever anywhere in existence because of guns, right? Let me take a drink real quick. But if we use this interactive map, let me just click on the violent desk because that's the only thing we have. And the most up-to-date data is up to 2021. We can just hover over the United States and we see violent deaths in the year 2021. So it tells us the total number, 27,445 deaths. Now, that gives us a death rate of 8.14 per 100,000. Okay, so it's important to understand that we say that we know that per capita, right? 8.4 or excuse me, 8.14. But if we just go south, just across the border there to our friends in Mexico, we'll see that they had 41,444 deaths with their death rate at 32.71. Now, I'm no mathematician and I'm no statistician, but I'm pretty sure that 32.71 is greater than 8.14. Now, it's important to understand that every country reports data differently. There is no blanket data reporting system, especially when it comes to firearms deaths, that every country reports. Also, you need to understand that a lot of the time, when when statistics on violent crime and gun crime are reported on the news they kind of intermingle some of those some of those data points so in a way it's misleading like we'll think well violent crime and gun crime are the same well not necessarily okay we know in the united states that uh gun crime is <laughs> guns are used i hate the term gun crime Guns as a tool to commit crime are used less, at least for, for death. Let's put, let's, sorry, let me, let me answer this better. The tool of a gun is used less to kill than hands and feet, fists, hammers, etc. Also, the type of gun is a big deal. Like they'll tell you that, and I know you, a lot of you guys know this, they'll tell you that the AR-15 is used in every mass shooting since 1905. Okay, that's a hype that's a little bit hyperbolic, but rifles, all rifles are used in like 0.2% of mass shootings, right? Air quote. So those statistics get kind of skewed and uh, and they're a little bit misleading. So when we look at violence, we'll see that the United States is actually I mean, that's a pretty low number. Violent deaths, okay? 8.14. We could go down to let's see Honduras. Uh, where's, where was Honduras, which is like ridiculous. We got to zoom in here. Um, oh, so, yeah, there's Venezuela. That one's pretty high. That's uh 37.29, which is actually what? Less than Mexico. Colombia is 36.1. Nicaragua. Oh, there's Honduras. Honduras is pretty violent. That's a scary place. 44.37. So you'll see that. Those drug-ran countries, those narco countries, they're pretty violent. They're pretty dangerous. Obviously, if we jump to the Middle East, now again, these numbers get reported differently in different ways. Like, there's no, there's no universal reporting system. Also, a lot of these reports come to the UN. So, I don't know how they're getting some of these Middle Eastern countries that are not part of the UN and, and getting accurate 
accurate reporting. But nonetheless, I'm going to share this map with you guys. You'll be able to jump on the website and check it out. Um, it is kind of interesting, especially when we look at other countries trying to dictate how the United States should implement its constitution. It's pretty frustrating to me. Also, somewhere on this same website, I was able to find this cute little infographic. And let's walk through this for a minute because I think this is important to understand. Again, we are winning. We just don't know it yet. All right, so the, on this infographic, the very first little chart here is global violent deaths in 2021. And then on the left, or excuse me, on the right of this little graphic, it says 7.3 violent deaths per 100,000 in 2021. Now, again, this is like, let me scroll down to make sure I get this right. Small arm survey, violent deaths, database. Uh, let's see. It's, I can't remember what it said, but it talked about where these numbers came from. And I'm pretty sure these came from the UN. So I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. Do your own research. Uh, 7.3 violent deaths per 100,000 in 2021. Now, it says, next part of that sentence, is the first increase in violent deaths since 2016. So if we just hear that sentence, then we think, oh my gosh, things are going up. Well, you got to look at the graph. Okay? 7.3 in 2021. Last year, or sorry, in 2020, the, the year previous of 21, obviously, it was 7.0. Then in 2019, 7.3, consistent with 2021. Now, 2020 or 2016, the one that they reported was the highest on this graph at 8.8 .8 per 100,000. But if we jump back to where they started <clears throat> recording this information in 2004, that was 8.1. So if we go back from 2019, which is the same death rate, and we go back on the graph to see where that same number, 7.3, pops up, is 2010. So what they should have said is 2010 was the last time we've seen numbers at this death rate, which is great. That means things are going out. And if you look at the graph, there's, sure, there's a couple of hills in there. But since they started reporting, it's still lower than uh, 2004. All right. <clears throat> it says the next part of this infograph, 580,000 people died violently in 2021. So it says people, um, I, I think that means men and women. Okay. Um, well, let's look on here. So global violent deaths in 2021. 84% um, of those, I'm assuming it's the 580,000, we're men, 84%. Okay, that sucks. That's too many. And then 16%, which was 92,000, were women. Now, again, if we look at their cute little chart here, since 2004, there's been a steady decline in violence against women. Violent deaths in particular, a steady decline. But they don't want to tell you that, but you got to look at the graph to really make sense of it, right? Um, with men, it stayed pretty much flatline, consistent the whole time. Um, oh, no, no. These are just for women. Both of these graphs are. Well, what is it? Global rate of women killed by firearms. Global death rate. Okay, so the black, sorry. You'll see when you look at the chart. 
So that number of violent gun deaths by for women hasn't really changed much, but overall deaths, violent deaths have gone down. Uh, I, I don't know why they're, they're just worried about women. There's nothing about, you know, focusing on the men here. All right. Global violent deaths by firearm was 260,000, but yet you said that it was 500. Okay, whatever. Of those, 91% were men and 8% were women. I, I guess we're not worried about that last 1%. Um, this does not include suicide. So 260,000 worldwide. Okay, global deaths. Hmm. Still sad. I get it. But then the next part of the infographic drops down there and they have these little pyramid I love how they keep changing the graph, okay? It says the United States, or excuse me, North America has the highest responsibility of these of these deaths, the percentage of these deaths. 81% came from North America. This doesn't make sense to me, though. Honestly, these graphs are confusing. Oh, I guess it's just per country. So 81% of the deaths in North America were by firearm. 71 in South America, which we know is probably higher than that. It just doesn't get reported. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> it's it's so frustrating. Um, and then they have a another cute little chart across the board here. The death rates, rates of death by firearm from 2004 to 2021. Again, the rate of firearms, this is what it says. The rate of firearms killing in, firearm killings in 21 was 3.3% per population. Or 3.3, excuse me, per 100%. Oh, my gosh. Steve, let's focus this. 3.3 per 100,000. It's late. Okay, it's late. I'm tired. Which is an increase, like they said before in the graph, an increase since 2016. But again, if you look at this this chart, mapping from 2004 to 2021, these numbers haven't been this low for a, quite a while. Um, 2020 was, was a little lower. I'd be curious what 22 and 23 were, especially when we're dealing with with uh, other numbers. And I wonder why it would have gone up um, post-pandemic. Just a question. Anywho. All right, let's move on to something that's a little bit more uplifting, shall we? Make sure you like, review, and share. Now back to the Range Minded Podcast. All right, let's give a little shout-out to, uh, to somebody that I'm kind of frustrated with. And a little bit. Not much. I mean, I'm mostly disappointed, but... Not not so much frustrated. So the NSSF, which is the uh, the firearms industry, like that is like the trade association. They're the ones that put on Shot Show. Why I happen to be a little frustrated, by the way, because uh, it didn't make it real easy for uh, the Range Minded Podcast to show up and be a media person at at the show. I'm telling you, next year I am not missing Shot Show again. This pisses me off, but I digress. Anyway. So the NSSF does a lot of research, does a lot of support for the firearms community. They're a great organization. Uh, they they do a lot. One of the things they do because they they have such good resources is they really dive in at commerce and and manufacturing numbers. Uh, and and we're going to get to the manufacturing stuff here in a second, which I think is fantastic. But this one is. Uh, is participation shooting sports participation they, they sent out this survey 
uh, and they actually got people to report back. And we're just going to read this. Not a very long article. We'll just kind of peruse through this. So Washington, D.C., the Firearms Trade Industry Association released the Firearms Ownership and Sports Shooting Participation in the U.S. 2022 report. The report highlights 21, or excuse me, 24.1% growth of adult participation in, shoot, in sports shooting in America from 2009 to 22. A survey indicates that during that time, sports shooting participation grew from 34 million in adult participants to over 63.5 million. That is awesome. Okay, I'm telling you guys, we're winning. We're winning, but you're not going to really understand that if you listen to the media. Okay, the key survey finding uh, findings showed that most popular types of recreational sports shooting for adults participating in 2022 were target shooting with a handgun at 16.9%, target shooting with a rifle at 15.6%, and target shooting at an outdoor range at 13.3%. The report also indicated that recreational target shooting and indoor ranges recovered uh, to pre-COVID-19 levels, which is great, after an unsurprising tip uh, dip during which, which pandemic protocols suppressed indoor shooting ranges participation, which is stupid, by the way, because the air at the range is probably cleaner than the air outside. Um, trust me, I know I've run indoor ranges. Proper filtration is pretty amazing. Anyway, I digress a lot, don't I? <clears throat> Let's see. In 2022, 17% of all adults participating in the shooting sports were newcomers. That's awesome. 17% of new shooters. Welcome. And 42% growth since 2020. That reflected to similar changes in the demographics as seen in the firearm purchasers, which we'll get into that too. Today's recreational marksmen and women are more... Why do they have to do that? It's just a marksman. It's not marksmen and markswomen. Come on, that's stupid. Are more representative of a broader scope of American demographic groups, increasingly urban and represented by women. Thank you. Thank you, women. And thank you for urban people for getting involved in the Second Amendment. There's more to that, I think, than just recreational shooting, but whatever. <clears throat> Here's another quote from somebody. I don't know. Oh, Joe Bar Bartosi. Uh, These are encouraging figures that are consistent with other trends that we see in the monthly FBI background checks and industry production reports reflecting growth in the firearm ownership. We're going to talk about that soon. <clears throat> Safe and responsible fire ownership goes hand in hand with regular participating in the shooting sports. Again, that was Joe Bartosi the president of the NSSF proficiency, accuracy, and safe firearm handling skills are learned and sharpened through regular and consistent shooting sports participation. I a hundred percent agree with that statement, whether firearms owners shoot recreationally or competitively, competitively recreational shooting sports are for everyone and makes our communities of firearm owners safer. I hundred percent agree with that statement more responsible and more inclusive. Yes, that is 100% accurate. Thank you, Mr. Bartosi. Thank you. Firearms ownership and sports shooting participation report follows similar findings in other NSSF reports, including monthly NSSF adjustment, national instant criminal background check system, which is NICS, uh, their data <clears throat> and firearm production in the United States 
uh, report, which we're going to talk about, made available by to the NSSF members. Well, you can get it no matter what. You don't have to be a member. You, there's ways to get it. The Firearm Ownership and Sport Shooting Participation Survey report also underscores the value and importance of the NSSF. I agree. Um, to grow the shooting sports participation in the United States. If hunters and target shooters in America dedicated themselves, dedicate themselves to introducing someone new to the shooting sports, the participation would double. Well, that's simple math, don't you think? Anyway, that is awesome. What a great, I'm telling you guys, we're winning and we don't even know it. Okay? We saw a huge percentage of people showing up and, and going to the range, recreational shooting, getting involved in uh, in target shooting and, and uh, competition shooting. That is awesome. Awesome. Now, again, with that, let's check out this fantastic number. This is another report from the NSSF. Like I said, we were going to get to this. This is the production figures. Okay. Now, these numbers, though this report was just released, the the data comes from 2021. So it's a couple years old three years old if you're going to be that way about it all right okay this is a, another this data that comes from the nssf okay <clears throat> the report compiles the most up-to-date information based on data secured from the fbi or excuse me the atf uh, annual firearms manufacturing and export reports which is another important thing that comes from the atf uh, and this is the key findings, okay? These are awesome. We're going to go bullet by bullet. I know this is probably boring to you guys, but this information is awesome because why? We are winning and we don't even know it. The estimated total numbers of firearms in civilian possession from 1990 to 2021 is 4,700,000. Let's try that again because I don't have the whole number. It's 473,000,000.2. 473.2 million. You get what I'm trying to say. Okay. According to the data in reports such as the ATF, ATF's firearm commerce in the United States, uh, they're, they're annual reports. Okay. So the ATF reports this, how many things are manufactured and how many are sold. And again, in private civilian hands, since between 1990 and 21, 2021, 473.2 million firearms oh we got to bump them numbers up folks we got to bump them up total domestic production reported uh from the the report the firearms manufacturing exportation report uh was 12 million five hundred twenty one thousand six hundred fourteen. that's a 28 percent increase since the year before yeah we're winning i'm telling you guys we are winning Data indicates that 28,144,000 MSRs, meaning AR-15s, modern sporting rifles, so 28 million in private hands since 1990. Private circulation. I am guessing that number's higher than that. Um, probably a lot higher than that because you got that doesn't take into account privately made firearms, uh, which are completely legal to do. As long as you don't sell them, you can make your own gun. It's okay. Uh, let's see. MSR production increased 32% between 20, 2020 and 2021. Man, that's a serious bump. This increase estimates uh, the amount of MSRs produced since 1990 up by 15% to 24 from 24 million to 28 million. Yeah, that's awesome. 
which happens to be the same number up above. Look at that. In 2021, uh, 21,037,810 total firearms were made available to the U.S. market. So another 21 million total guns. Okay. Um, were domestically produced, imported, minus exported firearms. Okay, so it doesn't count the ones that left the country. Of those, 12 million, almost 12.8 million basically were handguns, 4.8 million were rifles, and 3.4 million were shotguns. Now, I just kind of, I, I shrank those numbers because it was easier to say that way. <clears throat> uh, in in uh, An interim 2022 estimate shows a total of 11 million 217,388 total firearms were domestically produced in 2022, right? Of those, 6,148,877 were pistols, 830,000 were revolvers, 3.5 million were rifles, uh, 662,000 were shotguns, and those interim reports will be updated when the complete reports are available from the ATF. So those numbers, like what we're seeing now, Next year's numbers are going to be better, much better. <clears throat> Firearm ammunition. Uh, oh, let's try that again. I'm blasting through this report. Firearm and ammunition manufacturing accounted f- for over 12,400,000 employees. Nice. Uh, producing $5.6 billion in goods shipped in 2021. $5.6 billion. Yeah. From 1990 to 2021, 254,000—no, 254,753,372 firearms have been made available to the U.S. the U.S. market. 200 million. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, President of the NSSF, Joe Bartosi, we just had a nice quote for him before. The report demonstrates the strength and durability of the U.S. firearms manufacturing sector and the U.S. firearms sales markets. Uh, the data continues to show that modern sporting rifles, meaning AR-15s, is the most popular centerfire rifle sold in America uh, America today, with over 28 million in circulation and being used for lawful purposes every day. The continued popularity of handguns demonstrates a strong interest in Amer- by Americans to protect themselves and their homes and participate in recreational shooting sports. We are winning and we don't even know it. These numbers, I know it's probably super blah. You guys probably thought while listening to me that I'm super boring because I just pretty much read verbatim a bunch of different reports. But what that boils down to, friends, is we are winning. We're seeing unlawful laws being dismantled in the courts. Thanks to Bruin and Heller and Caetano, those are setting a framework for our future, for our children's future when it comes to gun rights. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be free from massive uh, massive laws trying to be pushed in our throats. I mean, look at the Queen of Albuquerque. Um, what's her name? The governor down there. Um, she's She's trying her hardest to make it impossible for people to own and carry firearms. We're seeing it in California, Oregon, Washington, Chicago, Louisiana, and all other sorts of different states that there's this huge push to take away the rights of people. Here's the thing. The government does not grant rights. Does not. 
Those rights come from a much higher power. The Constitution does not give the government power to regulate our freedom. The government, or excuse me, the Constitution restricts the power of the government. Okay? We are winning. These numbers are fantastic. We're seeing millions of new gun owners show up. Millions. Okay, what did it say? 17 million in that other report of new firearms owners in the last couple years? Fantastic. And and Bartosi, the, the president of the NSSF, he's 100% right. If these people would just bring one other person into the community, that would double the strength. Now, I am confident in saying that in the United States, there are far more gun owners than are willing to admit it. What do I mean by that? I mean, when you get a survey phone call, you're not going to say, yeah, I've got 17 handguns and 37 rifles in my safe. If you're wise, you would never say that on the phone to anybody. Okay. And I think most people are pretty wise that way. They're going to lie about what they own because it's nobody's freaking business. We're winning. We are absolutely winning. Now, does that mean we can pull back a little bit on the gas pedal? No, that is the exact opposite. Okay? Now is not the time to relax. Now is the time to push harder. When we tell you to take somebody shooting, I am dead serious about that. That is not some stupid moniker that I made up two years ago just to get people to listen and laugh at me. I am dead serious. 2024 is going to be a very difficult year for gun owners. I know, I just said that we're winning. Okay, but whenever, like, you watch any sports game, well, almost any sports game, let, let's look at a tug of war. Tug of war is a good, op, uh, a good um, example of this, okay? Now, you picture a bunch of big dudes playing tug of war in this middle of this grassy field, okay? They're both pulling as hard as they can. Okay, both sides of that center of that rope are pulling as hard as they can. Sometimes it wanes one way and then the other. Eventually, one of those dudes drop to the ground. They slip. And then another guy. And then another guy. It doesn't mean that the rest of the team stops pulling. No, they fight as hard as they can. We cannot, we cannot let go of that rope, okay? We need to keep going as hard as we can, full on, okay? I really wish, I talked about this on a live the other night. I, I, or actually, no, I was on a, I was on a Whiskey and Windage podcast, and, and I said this last time on the show, right? I really wish people in the gun community would work together instead of bitching and fighting with each other and complaining. It needs to happen. 2024 is the year that has to happen. We have to unite. Again, I don't want violence in the country. I don't want people picking up arms unless we have to. Okay. I, I don't want to see violence in this country over something where we shouldn't have to be violent for but I do want to see unity in the gun community. And that also comes with bringing new people into the community. It's important. We need 
our friends here. It will help us tremendously. So I, I got to do my part too, right? I can't just tell you to do it and not do it myself. It's on me too. But like President Bartosi of the NSSF said, if we just took one person and brought them into the firearms community, that would double the strength and power of the community, okay? Boy, that sounds like I'm creating an army. I'm definitely not. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's power in numbers. When those numbers vote, those people that represent us see and hear that they better get their act together, right? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Yes, it's going to be a fight this year. But with that, there's going to be so many opportunities of growth. So many. I know, look, the NRA is is in serious trouble. That organization might be gone by the end of this year. And there's still a lot of people, a lot of the futteries out there that believe the NRA has done more for our firearms rights than any other organization since the creation of the world. Well, they used to up until whatever, the 70s, 80s. And then they realized that, hey, it's a cash cow for the people on the board. And they raped our finances away and spent them on other worthless things. Look, if you still think that Wayne LaPierre's the cream of the crop, then why did he give himself or at least write himself into his uh, his termination contract a $17 million payout from a nonprofit organization? That doesn't seem right, right? We you There's a lot of people out there complaining that churches need to be taxed. Maybe, maybe not. That that's not what this conversation's about. But what it is about, if you're a nonprofit and you're paying yourself or you're hiring your spouse as a consultant and paying them millions of dollars of basically sacred funds from donators. <laughs> Seriously? I'm telling you, Wayne LaPierre and the board, they don't care about us. They don't. They care about their pocketbooks and they have for years and years and years and they've set up the the structure of the board in a way where they can't be fired. It's the wrong organization. I hope it can be fixed. I hope it can be resurrected. I hope there's a whole new board that can be put in. We'll see. But in the meantime, in the meantime, be the example. Be the organization that you think the NRA should be or GOA or any of the other ones, right? Be the citizen that you wish everybody else was because I guarantee there's other people out there that are scared to do it. But if they see one person doing it, they'll take courage to do it as well. Don't run from it. Yeah, it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be hard. I get it. But we're winning. We're winning and we don't even know it. Friends, I appreciate you tuning into the show. It is one o'clock in the morning and I have got to go to bed. But I couldn't do this without you. I wouldn't do this without you. Right? I, I don't make a dime off this show. I do it because I love the country. I love our rights. And I particularly love our freedoms to, to own and shoot guns. 
and it's not for hunting. That's not where that right comes from. Understand why we have the Second Amendment. Study it. Share that with somebody else. Like I'm sharing it with you. You don't have to do a podcast. But you can take somebody shooting. It's worth it. Love you guys. Be safe. Make sure you make the most of it. I'm unfortunately not going to SHOT Show this year, so there won't be any kind of live recordings and updates from SHOT. I'm super bummed, uh, but it is what it is. But we're winning, and we need to understand that. Love you guys. Be safe, and take somebody shooting. Thanks again for listening to the Range Minded Podcast. Don't forget, we have a website. You can check us out on rangemindedpodcast.com. There we have links to all of our social media accounts, plus a place to to send us a message. It'd be awesome to see you there. Anyways, don't forget, rangemindedpodcast.com. Range is hot.